Podcast of the cinema. I think I said that n- name with a bit of a sigh at the end of the word knife. I think I said linoleum knife. <sighs> <laughs> Maybe it's kind of unintentional. Let the there. listener add that themselves. That no, was not. It's <laughs> not an indication about how I feel about this podcast. Okay. of the cinema. Well, the sighing guys, Dave, or White. of my host, I'm Alonzo Duralde. I like very much. We're film critics, and this is our show. You're a film critic. Who has a job, and I'm a film critic that has this job currently. Yes. Uh, I'm also the, I am now officially the skinniest film critic. There's no skinnier film critic than me right now. Uh, I'm the one. I beg to differ. I am like in Diary of a Country Priest, where the priest just subsists on stale bread and wine that has turned. (laughs) And then he just sort of writes in his diary, and he's like, I cannot pray. We, I'm like Christian Bale in that one movie, The Machinist. The, that's the one. Uh-huh, that's me now. I'm yeah. that. I'm. We listen. know. We know some live the film critics. No. Yes. No. Yes. We do. No. Not anymore. None of them are as skinny <laughs> as me. <laughs> I'm so fit. Uh, <laughs> to quote Sandra Bernhardt, as I so often like to do. Uh, Honey, you're thick. <laughs> I just, I'm very hungry. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm very, sorry. Very hungry. But you're, it's it's working. You're getting results. Uh, Hashtag results. Yeah. If anyone's just joining us for the first time, I'm not trying to lose weight. I mean, I am. But not out of... Not because I look in the mirror and... Not because it's swimsuit season. Not because I look in the mirror and think, oh, you're so too much of everything. No. No, my, my orthopedic surgeon is demanding yes. it. Yes. And, uh, I'm almost there. You are. He put a number on a scale. He said, do it or you're not getting hip surgery. I said, okay. Oh, I'll do it then. <laughs> I'll do it then. And you're doing it. I'm doing it. Hate it. <laughs> Hate it so much. But now I look just like Christian Bale in that movie. Okay, great. That one time, that one movie that he sure. did. With, yes. when, uh, he was a machine. It's been so long. I never saw it. So I can't I even remember know. now. What I don't even, even know why I remember that What title. even happened in that movie? All I know is in that movie, you see him and you're like, oh, that's not a digital trick. Like he... He actored himself to he that He actored ways. himself into this. Yeah. That couldn't have been good. Probably not. Probably made him real mad. I, I want to yell at everybody all the time. I'm so angry all the and time. And apparently, right Christian now. Bale's generally a real chill bro. So <laughs> I th- that might have been what did it. <laughs> Different movie though. No, but, 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 but it, maybe it just stuck with him forever. Residual maybe he, hangry. He's still hungry from the war. You know. <laughs> yeah. Who was that in your family? Uh, it was Angelinas. Said that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Decades later, she claimed to still be hungry from the Spanish Civil War of the 1930s. 
who are we to say otherwise? I believe her. I believe her yeah. totally. Like now, listen. I've been to war now it's with your own body. With my with my own body. Um. What's this show about? Oh, films. Film. Yeah, we're film critics. Yes. Uh, and we're here to, we're here to say <laughs> that we watched um, Stop Making Sense. Yes. Is there anything preliminary-ish that we have to talk about? Oh, the writer's strike is over. Yes, hurrah. That's good. Everybody start writing again and uh, make shows so that... Friend and neighbor Gary Cotty can go yes. back to work and support SAG-AFTRA as their strike continues. He's a uh, he's a he's a he's an AD. He's an yeah. assistant director on films and television programs. Yes, and uh, he's been <laughs> uh, hating capitalism lately. Sure, I mean we all do, and we have been doing that for a long time. But well, what's awesome is that apparently not just the writer strike is over, but that well, the actors still need to get their deal. The right? actors yeah. need to get their deal, absolutely. But that so much of what you know sources or even on the record kind of you know like studio mogul types were sort of you know dismissing as pie in the sky wishes. No, they they mostly they got, got they got them. They mostly got what they wanted. Right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'm sure there are some things they didn't get. Of course not, but, but very strict rules about AI, yeah. you know, rules about size of writers' rooms and about the, you know, numbers of streams, you know, that, that wasn't being released before. Residuals so. for streams or yeah. numbers for streams being released? Numbers for streams being released and thus residuals being based on. Oh, okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Everybody needs to get paid. Hot labor summer, y'all. Except it wasn't all that hot. No, wait, it was not the labor here. that was, it was hot a this mild. Summer. Yeah, the labor was yeah, hot. We had a mild. We had I mean, a mild I'm summer. just talking about Los Angeles. Yes. We had a mildish. True. It was a short summer, Charlie Brown. <laughs> but yeah, uh, labor is standing up for itself, and that's exciting. Okay, so in 1983, the band, the name of the band, <laughs> is, is Talking Heads. Yes. And they performed four nights. Three, I thought. It, depending on who you're reading, I see. depending on the article that you're reading, it was three nights or it was four nights. Uh, down at the Pantages. Yes, on uh-huh. Hollywood Boulevard. On fancy Hollywood Boulevard. We saw Hairspray there. We did. We've seen a couple things there. Yeah. And um, we did not see Stop Making Sense, uh, the the. The Speaking in Tongues tour. No. We did not see those shows until they arrived in our local cinemas. Exactly. So over, it was December of 1983, Jonathan Demme, filmmaker, uh, went to the Pantages. And he, over the course of those nights, he filmed the band doing their show. And it became a film, a concert film, called Stop Making Sense, which was released in late 1984. And if you were like me, and you were living in Lubbock, Texas at the time, you waited until early 1985 <laughs> for your chance to see it. Or maybe it was late 84. I don't even remember. Now. I was very lucky in that uh, I, was a, I was a freshman at Vanderbilt. Yeah. And this was the last year that they did this, but the, the, the campus film program had done this thing for years called The Critical Eye. Where they would, it would be like a week of sort of like smaller art housey type stuff. And then it would culminate with 
they would bring in a professional film critic who would ha- who would bring a film with them to screen. Yeah. So the last year they did it was my first year there. The critic was James Wolcott, who still writes, lives in New York, writes for Vanity Fair. And he brought with him the then brand spanking new Stop Making Sense, which probably wasn't going to open in Nashville, I would imagine probably not till early 85. Yeah. So I was able to see it when it was like bubbling up and becoming first becoming a thing. And it blew me away i yeah, was yeah. At, i did not go into that theater a talking heads fan but i exited one say say, say what you said last week <sighs> do you remember the words yes. the exact words yes. because i'm i'm never gonna let you forget them look i was say it i was 17 <laughs> and up until that point apart from like hearing you know burning down the house on the radio i and found them to be i'm getting there okay yes I knew Burning Down the House, and I knew Swamp from the Risky Business soundtrack. Okay. And I knew Psycho Killer. Okay. And that was about it. Yes. And generally speaking, from what little I knew of Talking Heads, I thought they were arty and impenetrable. Nope. That's not what you said. Uh, You're getting the quote wrong. All right. Tell me, Dave White. What did I say? Arty and off-putting. Ah, okay, fine. (laughs) I found them arty and off-putting. I I just, I would look at the graphics and stuff of their album covers and just think, I don't know. But then I saw Stop Making Sense, and I was like, oh, okay, I like this. <laughs> what? So you hadn't heard anything other than those three songs. Basically. You yeah. were judging them by the album covers. Oh, well, yeah. It was, this was before the internet, and I had never seen them on MTV or anything apart from, those, apart from Burning Down the House. You hadn't seen the Once in a Lifetime video on SCTV? They played it frequently. Uh, maybe, maybe. I don't know if I really... If it registered with All right. Arty and off-putting. Yeah. I was a child. Go on. What you want from me. And then you grew grew up to become a man. I did. Tell me. This movie was was an essential step in my road to manhood. (laughs) Look, we're not all like you. And we see see B-52s on on Saturday Night Live and they frighten us until we immediately have to run out and buy their album. I was raised in a very boomery household with very safe tastes. Mm. Uh, I, I, that is the benefit of being raised by wolves. You are allowed to create your own. Carve out uh, your own space. Your own space. Um, no, yeah, I was 14. I did see the B-52s in their first uh, national television appearance on Saturday Night Live. And they were shrieking. And I was a little afraid of them. And I went out the very next day and I bought their record because I was like, well, I don't know what this is, but it's freaking me out. So I'm going to buy this record. <laughs> um, and that led me down a path. Yeah, it, it certainly uh, did. The path of, of, of uh, arty, off-putting bands. <laughs> exactly. Now, let's... let's, let's uh, everyone in Talking Heads... Every all four members of Talking Heads, uh-huh. they all went to, and this is where they met. Yes, the Rhode Island School of Design. Mm-hmm. These were RISD kids, snotty RISD kids, <laughs> and I don't know uh, uh, about Jerry Harrison, but I do know that both Chris France and Tina Weymouth were from like kind of old school preppy, preppy families, families yeah. especially Tina Weymouth. Um, so you know that was like. As you said, look what Chris France is wearing on stage. <laughs> Everyone else is wearing these sort of like monochrome 
outfits. David Byrne is sort of like, you're going to wear that, and you're going to wear that. And Chris France is like, no, I'm wearing my blue Lacoste. Yeah. Like, yeah. Chris France looks like he's on his way to Margaritaville. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, now I don't know that David Byrne micromanaged what everyone was wearing, but I think David Byrne mm. micromanaged what everyone on the stage was wearing. It's quite possible. I have a feeling about David Byrne, and this is based on his own uh, statements about his 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 behavior behavior of the eighties. And woo, listen to Chris Frantz and Tito Wayne talk about what he was like in the eighties, and you will come away with a portrait of a tyrannical yes, <laughs> tyrannical micromanager. I think of him the way I think of Prince. Like, mm. you're doing this, you're doing that, you're doing this. We're all going to look this certain way. Right. Your hat is not tilted exactly the way I need it to be tilted. Like, like in the studio, I could play all of these instruments. But when we go live, I need you on stage. With right. Me. So it's got to be just right. I, um, that is what I think. And, he, the, the, and I'm not even the one that invented the word tyrannical. Byrne has said this yeah, of no, himself. No, no, no. He described I it was himself a that tyrant. Way. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's been fascinating to watch the band having to be all like, let's be on stage together think, and promote this movie. Listen, they are all the age of the Golden Bachelor right now. True. Which, by the way, premieres tomorrow night. And <laughs> I'm going to watch the first episode. But, I mean, it wasn't that long They're ago. They're all in their early 70s. Uh, but it wasn't Byrne that- is 71. Chris France and Tina Weymouth are 72. Jerry Harrison is the old man. He's mm. 74. Gotcha. But it wasn't that long ago that Chris France wrote a book in which he... He just used did the term F. David Byrne on multiple occasions. David Byrne. Yeah, this book came out like less than five years ago. Yeah. But I have a feeling that this current wave of, you know, we're in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Um, we're being, you know, recognized for, you know, 50 years-ish of being a band. Yeah. And a 40, whole new demo is discovering 40 this years now. of this 40 years of this concert. And... 39-ish of, of the, the movie. Film. Yeah. yeah. What did you read? The, 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 the demographic of people who are actually said, going to see this reissue? Yes, according to the according to the stats released by A24, the opening weekend of the IMAX 4K reissue of Stop Making Sense, that 60% of the audience was under the age of 35. Yes. And so they were not born when the movie came out. Right, right. Um, so... I think that this moment in their lives is a moment for burying you know, the hatchet. Kind of burying the hatchet. I, I hope so. I, I mean, what, that. why would you carry that grudge around? It's sure. not like you're going to be a band again. Like, you're all doing your own thing. Look, be Tom Tom Club has all the money they will yeah, ever no need. Be ABBA and do like, you know, have if Hologram Talking Heads wants to do a show, why not? That is a way they could do it. Yeah. Um, but it would be, I mean, if they wanted to, <laughs> I, I wouldn't listen. I wouldn't complain. Yeah, let them. The uh, well, let's let's talk about the film. Yes. So yeah, this is as you said, uh, Jonathan Demi directed it. Um, his first music film, but by no means his last. And um, all of his films involve music in a really substantive way. Well, I, I mean, all of them where you'd have to go back to, you know, he was making Roger Corman movies like Caged Heat and stuff in the early 70s. So. Sure. But yes, uh, mm-hmm. from about like Citizens Band, Melvin yep. and Howard onward. Something wild. Yes. 
Definitely yeah. after this movie, it, 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 it's a much larger footprint. Because yeah. then he makes like, I don't know how many movies with Neil Young. He does uh, Storefront Hitchcock. He does, um, you know, just like multiple different docs about about music you get to like you get to rachel getting married and like the movie just stops for a concert right toward the end of i mean the there film. are exceptions although i will say philadelphia even music figures somewhat sure, prominently yeah. in philadelphia i guess beloved might be the only one that isn't sort of like, yeah that's true sort of an that's off, an exception yeah but like I mean, his last film was ricky and the flash yeah. you know which is about a musician so yeah. uh clearly this this either whetted some appetite in him or I don't know yeah. what, but I mean, we were, I was talking with Christy. She just rewatched something wild and we were talking about that prom scene with the feelies performing and like, uh -huh. there's this amazing camera track through the whole thing and get it Anyway. So yeah, so this was, so he shoots this at the Pantages and the show itself is telling you a story. Uh -huh. The show itself starts with, no backdrop whatsoever. Like you can see to the back wall of the theater where like all the ladders are and the cables and the yes. ropes and everything. Yeah. David Byrne comes out with a little like boom box, plays a, a, a percussion track and on an acoustic guitar sings Psycho Killer. And then Tina and Chris come out and then the backup singers come out and Jerry Harrison comes out and then you know, uh, Alex Weir, who's a guitarist, and Steve Scales, who's a percussionist. And it, it you know, and, and as, as the, you know, the black clad crew members are wheeling in yeah. all of these instruments and new mics and stuff, like the wall, the back walls start going up and it becomes this like stage thing. And, uh, you know, and then at one point, like David Byrne leaves the stage, there's a Tom Tom, Tom Tom Club song. They do their big hit, Genius of Love, which is like to this day, one of the most sampled songs ever written. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just this exhilarating uh, experience where the cameras are up on stage and really close to people and getting these interactions of not just like, you know, the backup singers dancing with David Byrne and kind of, you know, mirroring his images, but like the way that Tina Weymouth looks at Chris France at certain times yeah. or the way that like, um, I forget the, the, the legendary keyboardist who's in this. Bernie Worrell. Bernie Worrell. He's the one person in this movie who is like, I'm at work. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is smiling and getting into it and having a good time. Mm -hmm. And he is doing so, synchronized dancing together. Yeah, yeah. He is so focused. <laughs> like he is super focused. And Jerry Harrison is real awkward. In, and it's composed to the other three. Well, Jerry Harrison gets to kind of hide yeah. behind keyboards a lot. True. The time. And he plays guitar as well. But, um, he gets up next to Bernie Worrell in the back yeah. and it's sort of like, I'm just here. Like, <laughs> I'm just here doing this. Um, his, history of some of the people on stage. Bernie Worrell was a longtime George Clinton associate mm, okay. in Parliament. Lynn Mabry. And Edna Holt are the backup singers. Yes, Lynn Mabry from, uh, is also... That's how she became connected to this through Bernie Worrell because she was a member of P Funk. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, and then she joined Brides of Funkenstein. Do you remember them? Vaguely. Okay. She's also in 20 Feet from Stardom. Oh, yeah. okay. Edna Holt also came, also comes from the world of like background singers and other bands and whatnot. Um, she, 
was a, a, a dance music artist, you know, throughout the 80s. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. Um, and uh, both Lynn and Edna, by the way, were at the Vidiots screening yes. with the four members of Talking Heads. I read an interview with both of them where uh, they were just talking about how before, before this tour, neither one of them knew a lot about Talking Heads. And I think it was Edna Holt, perhaps, who who said that it was down to her and this one other woman. And the one other woman who was probably going to get the job just kind of couldn't get a feel for the music. Hmm. And Edna Holt was like, I can, I will, I do. <laughs> and, and so she and Lynn Mabry became like tight, tight friends. Hmm. You can see this on stage. They are together as a team of people on stage. They are so magnetic that you stop watching David Byrne. (laughs) Yes. And you start watching them because they are having such a blast. And this is, again, something they said in this interview. They were like, we didn't even feel like we were at work very much. Like we were just having fun every night and doing our little dances and stuff (laughs) and having a blast singing all this all this music so um but if you watch the film you will find your eyes drifting away from david byrne to them because they are like on fire yeah as and 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 that's not what background singers are supposed to be doing yeah they're just in, sort of in, sinking in any into other the... context but they are right up front they're right next to him they're yeah. right by his side right everyone is in a like a like a like a line on stage so you've got Edna Holt and Lynn Mabry, David Byrne, Tina Weymouth, and then Alex Weir, who, by the way, also uh, his history, he got his start with Brothers Johnson. Strawberry Letter 23. (laughs) Stomp. The Brothers Johnson. And he, you know, played guitar for everybody. So you've got not just talking heads, but you've got an impeccable roster of talented people. Yeah. Veteran session players. The band for this moment. And a total, there's like nine people on stage, and they are this this machine of incredibleness. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like you said, it's, it, it grows from one small thing to two things to three things to nine things. Yeah. With a little break in the middle for Tom Tom Club to do Genius of Love, and for Chris France to be. <laughs> So corny. <laughs> like, he's an incredibly talented man. Yes. Great drummer for this band. He co-wrote Genius of Love, and he co-wrote other Talking Heads songs. But calm down. <laughs> and frankly, like... like could Tom, you calm down? Tom Tom Club, yeah. I think, probably never sounded better than with that roster of people I doing it. I saw Tom Tom Club. Uh-huh. Uh... In 1990, on the, did you remember the Escape from New York tour? That rings a bell. Okay, so in 1990, the Escape from New York tour happened, and it was Tom Tom Club with Jerry Harrison. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they did uh, uh, Talking Heads songs that, you know, they, partic- they, they had co They wrote, yeah. And then they did Tom Tom Club songs, and I guess they did some Jerry Harrison solo album songs. Oh, right. I have no memory <laughs> of what those were. You were, that was, that was when you went to the bathroom. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> um, but like, they were great. 
No, I'm they were sure, great. but and it was a three. It was a three act tour. It was them, uh-huh. uh, Debbie Harry with a couple of the members of Blondie, mm-hmm. and the Ramones. And they rotated headlining spots. Oh, fun. So no matter whatever night you saw, you didn't know who the headliner was going to be. Gotcha. Um, it turned out our night, the Ramones were the headliner. Huh. So, uh, you know, that was a blast. I'm just saying, having Alex Weir and Ernie Worrell, uh, Bernie Worrell and, and Steve Scales and Edna Holt and Lynn Mabry on yeah. stage yeah. ups the ante it a does. bit on, yes. you know. Yes. Um, anyway, can I be a little... Irreverent right now? Please. You could have taken that Tom Tom Club song completely out of the movie and put back in like uh, Zimbra <laughs> and and Big Business and and had a more fully coherent thing. Because Tom Tom Club, that song, not that there's anything wrong with that song. I yeah. love that song. It kind of feels like an intermission. <laughs> a little bit. So. It's it's the one time that like I don't know if it's the mix or the way or the way that Tina Weymouth sort of breathy thing. It's yeah. the one song I feel like I didn't catch every word of, whereas every right. other song on this I do. Right. Right. But yeah, it's it's fine. <laughs> but yeah, you're, it's a point well taken. Um, when was the last time you saw this projected? On a screen? Yeah. Well, here's a story. Between 1980, late 84 and 85, whenever it came to Lubbock, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, when I say here's a story, I just mean here's me. I'm fixing a ramble about some stuff. Get ready. I'm fixing a ramble about some stuff. This is the first time I've seen it on a screen since then. Wow. I've seen it on VHS tape. Mm-hmm. I've seen it on DVD. I've <laughs> seen it. I've seen it. Sure. It's the first time I've seen it projected since. Uh. That midnight screening in mm-hmm. Lubbock, Texas at the South Plains Mall for screen multiplex. Wow. Because I got to see it in the last 10, 15 years at the Egyptian Brenda neighbor Gary Cotty and I went. Yes. And you know, it was great and the, that's a that's a that's a house with some sound in it, you know. Yes. Uh, but this was a whole other level of it. Um it's I was also just thinking about the fact this was when it was originally released, this was a Cinecom film. Do you remember? I were don't, you paying attention to I don't know what Cinecom was. They were a really cool indie distributor. Like right. I think they released <clears throat> Starstruck actually in the early 80s. I think they released I want to say they released uh, Swimming to Cambodia, which was another Demi, um, you know, a performance film. Yeah. Uh, and I'd have to go back and look, but my recollection was when I was in college, like 86, 87, 88, like Cinecom had the best stuff. Oh, okay. And then they went bankrupt. <laughs> of course. <laughs> like so many 80s indie right. uh, distributors did, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I, and, and, you know, there's... So much of that whole missingmovies.org thing is about like these films that were put out by these companies that don't exist anymore, you know? Right, right. So it's like, if you want to track down Man Facing Southeast, well, Film Dallas is no longer around. So, I, you know, good yeah. luck tracking that one down. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but yeah, but this one, thankfully. Internet Archive has so many things, y'all. <laughs> I'm just, I'm not, I'm not lying to you. They have a, 
I don't know if they're allowed to have so many yeah. of the things they have, but they have them. You know, I'll tell you. And there I, are no rules anymore. I, exactly. Yeah. I used to be so like, oh, you know what? I, I don't count. If it's on YouTube, no. And I, it has to be you know, the official thing because I want everybody to get paid. But then it's like, oh, what? The studios aren't going to pay them anyway? Then see it wherever you can. I don't care. Right. Why bother? Um, so it was an interesting experience seeing it again mm-hmm. yesterday in huge IMAX with the 4K blob, everything, and yeah. the giant sound and and a big crowd on a Tuesday afternoon at 1.30. Wow. Big crowd. Contrasting it with the 10 or so people that were at the screening in Lubbock, Texas that night. Mm. That was about what my screening was like on opening Thursday at the Chinese. It did not... It did not have a full uh, schedule uh-huh. at the at the Lubbock South Plains Mall movie theater. It was at midnight on a, on Friday night and midnight on Saturday night, alongside Rocky Horror. And in general, what what that mall would do on a Friday and Saturday night, they'd show Rocky Horror, and they'd show one other weird person midnight movie. So Pink Flamingos, Pink Flamingos. Eraserhead, a Clockwork Orange, Holy Mountain, Clockwork Orange. You know what I'm talking. About. You know, you know the deal with that. Holy Grail. Yeah. And stop making sense. It was a midnight show. Now I was very young, and that was fine. I stayed up all night sometimes <laughs> back then. I was I was youthful and fresh, had a lot of energy. <laughs> but I was absolutely determined that I was going to go see that film. Yesterday's screening, accompanying me, was our young friend, Brian, who just turned 30. Hmm. He has also seen this film projected on a screen before because he's obsessed with talking heads and has been forever since he was a kid. Hmm. But, you know, our perspectives, we had a big conversation after about it. And, And I asked him, you know, what What it meant to him, you know, to see this film. Mm-hmm. Because he and I came from utterly different scenarios. Right. You know, he grew up in Philadelphia, which is a pretty big place, yeah. pretty big city. And you're old. And I grew up in tiny little nothing towns right. uh, before the internet. So you were goofing around about the, the seeing B-52s on Saturday night and running out and buying that record. But that 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 buying that record became a moment for me where I felt the need to walk through that door. You know, in 1979 in Roswell, New Mexico, most of the kids in my high school were going out to Bottomless Lakes on Friday night to party and listen to Molly Hatchet. Right. Okay. And when I say Molly Hatchet, I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, literally, they all loved Molly Hatchet. Right. And Leonard Skinner and... Uh, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. That was what was happening. Yeah. With the kids that I went to high school with. But that was not what was happening with me. None of that stuff appealed to me. It didn't feel like anything that I could understand. But when I bought that B-52s record, I thought, this is this is my... This is who I need to be with. Yeah. These are these are the people who are saying something to me. 
because there's largely they're saying nonsensical things, but that's amusing and it seems fun and and they're weird and I like that. I don't know why I like that, but I like that. And from that minute forward, I was you know buying records by Devo, Talking Heads, and uh, Elvis Costello, and uh, X-ray Specs, X and X-ray Specs, and then. Uh, over the next couple of years, you know, decline of Western civilization soundtrack and that kind of thing. So there was this definite sense of isolation to be a kid like that in a town like that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it wasn't just a sense of isolation. It was actual isolation you were geographically isolated but you were also culturally isolated and you took any little piece of it wherever you could find it if you saw anything on tv in a magazine you weren't hearing anything on a radio but like you would go to record stores and just buy something because the cover looked odd right right interview what's this (laughs) That magazine didn't exist in Roswell, New Mexico. I'm sure. It was not on a newsstand anywhere. So to be able to walk into a movie theater in a mall in Lubbock, Texas, and see this film was hugely important. Because, you know, I was still occasionally, you know, visiting my family who had at this point moved to Dallas, but... You know, Lubbock was still kind of a smallish place without a lot of opportunities to experience, you know, music like this. Yeah. Or unusual films or anything. It meant so much to me to be in that theater in Lubbock. And it meant so much to the friends that I went there with and the friends that I would subsequently make. You know, some of them... At least one of them, Jennifer, I've known her now for 39 years. Hmm. And she was one of them. She was one of the, the, the arty punk weirdos of Lubbock, Texas. It's like you're dying for something to eat or drink, and then suddenly there's a meal in front of you. <laughs> and you... You eat it like you don't know where the next one's coming from because you kind of don't. <laughs> and that's what it was like to be a, a, a young person in that, like, isolated place. Yeah. You kids today with your internet, you'll never know. When I tell you that watching it yesterday at the theater got me really choked up wow. on about five different occasions, mm-hmm. I am not... Uh, I am not lying to you. I believe it. It it put you back in that place. It put me back in that place. It also made me think about how lucky I have been in my life to hunt down, find what I needed, find the people I needed, you know, uh, uh, move <laughs> to places that were going to give me what I wanted. Agreeing to come with you here. Like it's everything 
It has been decades of you will not stop me from having a cool life. (laughs) (laughs) One that I like. You know, you don't have to like it and you don't have to want it, but I'm going to go get that. And I did. And, And it just felt really wonderful to be in the theater yesterday. Uh, seeing it. So naturally, Brian, being very young Mm -hmm. and having grown up in a big city, he had a different perspective. And I asked him to tell me, Uh can you explain your point of view on this? Because he, he's one of those kids who came up and was into hardcore punk when he was, you know, 11 years old. And his oldest brother handed him a Husker Du record. You know what I mean? Like it was that kind of thing. Yeah. And so he said the music was more accessible. And this is a quote. I'm reading a text for him. And I have his permission to do this. The music was more accessible in the sense that I was able to find things more easily. I didn't have to go to midnight movie screenings or (laughs) indie record stores. I found everything on the internet. But just finding things that way doesn't always provide the necessary context to fully understand that thing. So driving into Philly, he lived in a suburb outside, lived in Westchester. Driving into Philly in high school with my buddy uh, and picking up very beat up uh, Devo and Talking Heads records put those, put those, those desires into a context. It made me understand how special those bands were. He says, I was talking to my mom about those bands and she knows their hits, mm. right? His mom is like our age. Sure. Maybe a little older, but uh, he says, obviously, but I always felt, even though she knew them, I felt like they were my bands. <laughs> she thought it was funny when I dressed up in a Devo costume for Halloween my senior year of high school, but she didn't know how cool I thought that was. So finding out years later that friends I grew up with, all of them, you know, uh, strictly into punk and hardcore, finding out that sort of one by one, a lot of them really did appreciate this other stuff, you know, because no one was ever going to call Talking Heads punk. No. They came out of that world in an adjacent way, but they were arty and (laughs) off-putting. They weren't nasty and mean and terrifying. Right. Uh, Anyway, he says, "I, I finally feel... I finally felt like I had found my people. And that was and that is exactly the same thing I felt mm-hmm. when I when I found that band and I found those friends. Uh he said and seeing it at the Colonial Theater uh in Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and then where they shot the blob. Where they shot the blob, which by the way is going to be our October Linoleum Life LK Club meeting. So for if you're Patreon members. Patreon. This is an ad for Patreon. If you would like to become a Patreon member, uh, we watch movies once a month with everybody and we talk on Discord. And next month we are going to watch The Blob because it's spooky season. That's right. That's right. Patreon.com slash Linoleum Knife. Uh, he said, seeing it on a screen back then was a life-changing experience. Just overwhelming joy. It also just showed how good and fun and tight that band was. It was really overwhelming, and today I felt those feelings again, and I cried again, and I danced a little bit in my seat. P.S. Chris is corny and bitter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm realizing in this conversation that this movie was indeed part of a process that I was undergoing 
at the end of high school, beginning of college. Yeah. So like the my senior year, because I had to go interview a couple of members of the band for my school paper, mm-hmm. I had to go find out who R.E.M. was. Right, <laughs> right. I'm interviewing R.E.M. for my high school newspaper. They are a brand new band that cannot uh, find... Uh, <laughs> Fans, quite, it, just quite yet. It was their, yeah. it was their, their second album was coming out. So it was what document? No. Oh, it was for their second album. Yeah. Oh, they already had fans. Yeah. You, so, but they were still going to do an interview for a high school news. Yeah, they were. That's mm-hmm. amusing. I, Go I, on. I, yes. Yeah. So I, I got. To, it's a senior in high school. I sat down with with, with Peter Buck and Mike so Mills. So they were they were doing press for Fables. No, this is before Fables. There. Okay. There's there's the Chronic Town. Well, and then there was Murmur, and then there was. Uh, uh, fables. No, no, Am no. Am I no. wrong? There, there's one in between. Wait a second. Oh, hold on. We'll be right back. <laughs> Reckoning. You Reckoning. can stop yelling at your speakers I'm now. a dummy, yeah. Yes. Reckoning came out. And so I I remember I ran out and I bought I bought Reckoning and Chronic Town on cassette because I yeah. was a 16-year-old and driving around everywhere. And that's all right. I, that's where I listened to my music. That's right. I had to buy Murmur on vinyl because it was all they had, all I could yeah. find. yeah. And so, like, I did this crash course into these three records. Like, oh, I like this. <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. And so then uh, that that fall, I start college. I, I go to work at the college radio station. At first, just thinking I'm going to be, like, one of the news guys. But the more I hang out and the more I get to know the radio station people, the more, you know, God bless Regina G, G-E-E, uh, who is now, like, a professor of antiquities. She related to Wendell G? I think she might be, actually. Oh, my God, yes, no. we talked about that at the time. <laughs> Um, but, uh, she sort of took me under her wing. It was like, she played like, this is an Alex Chilton record, you know, like right. she really she helped you. She helped me a great she, deal. She guided you. Yes. Until so, I came along to repel you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You didn't do anything. Um, as I said, I said, I came along to repel exactly. you. Exactly. Yeah, get that Sonic youth away from me. Yeah. But anyway, so she was introducing me to all this stuff and the station in general was introducing me to stuff and I was listening to the station and then seeing Stop Making Sense was sort of part of my like... What Flaubert would call my sentimental education. <laughs> but like just my understanding that there was more to music than, you know, what I'd been listening to on Top 40 radio or yes. rock radio in Atlanta, right. you know. Right. Uh, so, yeah. So this was so for me, like I don't I don't have the same kind of emotional ties to it necessarily. But I when I think about movies that are just like pure generators of joy. This is for sure one of them. Yes. Yeah. Like you just, this movie just leaves me, like I was tapping my feet like in a dorky way the whole time. And I just, I, I just, this movie makes me so happy. Did you get up and undulate I did in front not. of your seat? I did not. There were, again, there were like 20 people in our, in, 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 the, in, the, in the IMAX Nobody house Nobody did that yesterday because I was, I was, I knew that I was, was like, you were already pre-mad about it. Don't, don't, don't. I do. Oh, do I? Oh, do I dislike audience participation <laughs> so much? But no, it, do it, that in your house. It was just so joyous, and yeah. then like, and and over so quickly. It's ninety minutes. It gets to the it's end. You're like that, short, That's it. It is ninety minutes. It yeah. zips by yeah. because it's just it's just one banger after another, uh-huh. and 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 it's each staging is different enough that you don't feel like you're just sort of like going through what is often in a live performance where it's like they all come out, they do the thing and then they leave, you know, like it's this constantly sort of evolving yeah. stage set and stuff. Did you notice new things on the IMAX? Cause I did. No, 
I never noticed when David Byrne is out there by himself with the stage completely bare. Anytime they look, pointed at the audience, and that was minimally. Yes. I was looking for this one friend of ours who <laughs> grew too. up here who says he claims he, he, says, was, he, was he there. says he was there. <laughs> <sighs> and we have no reason to disbelieve I him. Suppose. Look, but... the Blu-ray's going to come out. He'll find a screen grab, I'm sure. Anyway, though, but like, so, so the very beginning of the film, you know, David Burns on stage, there is no stage, you know, right. it's this wide open space. Yeah. I never noticed, like, you can see these two Teamsters backstage, just oh, yeah. like, arms just folded, like, leaning back, like, okay. We're on our break. Not, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need us yet. And, and no, I did just, notice those guys. Yeah, yeah, I had not really yeah. spotted them before. So that was probably my one big, like, IMAX revelation. But, you know, to see it, to see it in an IMAX theater means you're going to see it in this, like, incredible, like, Gorgeous, sound that you can feel exactly. Yeah, thank you, Nicole, and uh, and it definitely delivers on that front. Okay, we've talked about this for so long now. We we're probably going to fill up this whole hour with it, but like, the last thing I want to say is there are reasons you go to the movies, and there are films that stick with you for your whole life, and there are films that make you feel less alone. Mm. This was one of them when I needed it I very it. badly. And and I will be forever grateful that it exists. Uh, it, for me, it's just, it is a film that I literally remember changing me. Yeah. Uh, a, because I, it made me understand this band and, and it, it deepened my understanding of music in general. Also, this was the first movie I reviewed for my college paper. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna dig that out. Oh, I, know, I know it's please somewhere. Don't. It's somewhere in this apartment. <laughs> please I, and don't. I know. I think I know uh, where it is. No. Yeah. And, and the thing was also because I had gotten to meet James Walcott. Yes. I sent him the review. Uh huh. And he actually gave me some notes on it and uh, oh. things valuable tips for a young film critic. That I shouldn't be afraid to let my own voice in there. Because I, I think I, I, I wrote it a little clinically because I was so nervous about like right. trying to sound serious. Right, right. Yeah, you don't want to, I mean, you don't want to be boring. Mm. You don't want to be a clown either. No, it's a fine it's line. Such a, it's such a fine line. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we did go a little long on this. So We sure did. <laughs> we took about 40 minutes to talk about this movie. I want to throw in real quick, because something you, you mentioned reminded me of it. I recently saw a lovely um, gay indie film called Aristotle and Dante Discover the Secrets of the Universe. It is a very sweet love story um, about, you know... In the heartstopper vein of... Not exactly. Things. It's a it's a little harder hitting than heartstopper okay. is. It's not... Right. But there is definitely... There are fantastical elements to it. We are to believe that... Two, not one, but two like teenage Mexican American boys in El Paso in the early '80s would have the most understanding parents, mm. uh, who are super supportive of their, you know, their their son's budding orientations. Um, the other main fantasy aspect, so like beautiful thing where everyone is sort of like loving and supportive and helpful. well, but yeah, but I mean, one of the kids in Beautiful Thing is. His his family is abusive, so... Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. I forgot about that part. <laughs> the other fantasy element here is that it's the 80s in El Paso, and the radio station plays, like, the church and other indie bands. It's like, no, they didn't. I consulted yes. with Jennifer. Jennifer. The friend I've known for 39 years, who is from Clint, Texas, mm. which is 
an even tinier town than the ones I grew up in, in New Mexico. And she said, oh, yeah, we listen to El Paso radio all the time. She goes, no, they didn't do that. Yeah. That was not what they did at all. And and it just, it reminded me of the conversation that we've had so many times on this program, that there is this retro look at the 80s now so often in movies and TV shows where the weirdo music that you and I were listening to on tiny radio stations that were at the far left hand of the mm-hmm. dial have now been retrofitted to be like, oh, no, we all liked New yeah, Order all, in 1985. Everybody loved it. Yeah, the, the hits didn't stop coming. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we were all, of course, Matt Damon is going to be listening to the Violent Femmes' Blister in the Sun in his Lincoln Continental in air, you he, know. Yes, he sure would have been. Yeah. So just a constant reminder that this is nonsense. Anyway, but speaking it's, a, of nonsense, it's a lovely movie. Y'all should check it out. Uh, speaking of nonsense, we saw Flora and Son. Oh, <laughs> ouch, 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 Dave, ouch. Ow, ow, sweetie. <laughs> Talk about it. It is also a film about music. It uh, is. Because it is from John Carney, and all of his films are about music. They sure are. And they're all about the redemptive powers of music. That too. And the life-changing so power life. So of, life-changing. of writing the perfect song. Yes. Uh, so yeah, this is the guy you who did- You can do it. He did, he did <laughs> Once and Begin Again and Sing Street, and now this is his fourth feature. Yep. And uh, I- And I, Once is such a beautiful film. I think they're all terrific in their own. And Sing Street is so sweet and adorable. And then Begin Again is fine. (laughs) And this one is fine. All right. As long as it's fine. Keep talking. Yeah. So, okay. So, Eve Hewson, who knows a thing or two about musicians. Um, All right. Yeah, go on. (laughs) She's a single mom in Dublin. uh, And her 14-year-old kid is... On the verge, constantly being sent to jail for, for <laughs> teen, shenanigans. Teen, teen jail. Yeah. yeah. And uh, her her ex, Jack Rayner, uh, shares custody with her. And the kid plays video games, doesn't seem to have anything particularly that he's interested in in life. And one day on the street in a dumpster of like somebody's belongings being thrown out, she finds a guitar. She pays to have it restored. She gives it to the kid. The kid is not interested. So she decides, all right, fine. I'm going to learn how to play guitar. So she starts taking online lessons from a uh, California musician played by uh, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And everybody's life changes for the better because they've got music in it. And I realize that on paper these movies are nonsense. (laughs) But boy, does John Carney know how to suck me in every time. He's um, All four films I would watch right now yeah and he just charms the pants off of me and i know it's ridiculous but i love them he makes the same movie every time i know but i like that movie (laughs) and here's what i'm going to tell you what i don't like and i'm going to tell you what i like I will say I'll say I'll say say this. I'll, I'll end on a, on a, on a nice note. Okay, okay. and I'll I'll say my my the hardest thing that I'll say about this is it is my least favorite of the four. But you still were I still giddy while we were watching it. Watching you still it. sat on the couch while we watched the screening link, and you were like, yee, yee. <laughs> "Yes, that's true." All right, so I know Eve Hewson is Bono's daughter, and that. I, 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 I sat there thinking, 
you're not going to be a dick about this. You're going to be, you're going to give this performance a chance. So I did. She grew on me. Oh, good. Yeah, she really did. Like I, I was ready to scoff and mock and be a, a, a difficult bad person. Well, I, I think you should go back and give the Nick another shot because she's great. There's lots of gore mm. and Clive Owen. I like Clive Owen. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you like gore. I do love gore, a lot of it. Yeah. So. Her performance is, is good, and she is really who is selling me on kind of everything that's happening in this film. I, I mean, it's kind of on her to do that. Yes. Um, well, no, it's on John Carney, and I'm fighting against John Carney. <laughs> I know, but I'm because... just saying, of the characters, she's the one who's really, like, carrying the load here of, of bringing she the story. She is back. tempering his outlandish sweetness with her more grounded behavior mm. in the film. Because he is, I swear, he is Mr. B natural. He is like, <laughs> I'm here to give you the power of music. The, the power of music. <laughs> yeah. Like knew your father idea. About it's all about how music builds bonds between people and reunites estranged people. Men's and, hearts. Yeah, it it softens your heart and like it is a very sweet fantasy. And that Every single film, it always finds its its voice in that magical moment where the song comes together. We've all been writing a song together. And suddenly, boom, here it is. And it's fully formed. And we all are transformed and we're changed and we are happy and we like each other again. And anyway. <laughs> These movies work best if you're trying to think of any musician you've ever actually met. <laughs> I, um, yeah, it's nice. <laughs> it's nice. If you, are, if you are of a mood to be moved by people discovering the joy of music, watch Stop Making Sense. <laughs> then, but, but, but you should watch Stop Making Sense after you see this, because this, if you yeah, watch it sure, right after no. Stop Making Sense, you'll be like, Beat it. Get yeah, out of town. This? Yeah. But go see Stop Making Sense in the theater. You can watch Floor and Son on Apple TV+. Plus. Did you listen to our segment on KCRW? Where we talked did I, go? About I did we... not, no. I'm wondering if they left did in... Did they leave in your joke about glitter? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I was wondering if they left in my comment about how uh, when you donate to NPR, uh, <laughs> Once is the movie they used to jump you in. <laughs> So good. I said it twice. I hope they used it on the actual radio. Bravo. Yeah. Bravo, sir. Um, all right. So we've spent almost a whole hour talking about one movie and then a little bit talking about a second movie and a teeny tiny bit talking about a third movie. And now we're done. Yeah. We have letters, though. We do have some and, letters. And they're, they're, they're shorties. Let me find them. Okay. Lynette says, I've been listening to your podcast since I heard you on the Stephanie Miller show. Oh, wow. You've given me many years of entertainment. Thank you, friends. Well, thank you, Lynette. That's so sweet. Um, I think she's responding to something that we might have said. I can't remember now. We Wondering who... Nakedly begged for affirmation? No, I think <laughs> we were just who's been around a long time ah. as a listener. 
I think that's what true. We are coming up on our 13th anniversary. 13th anniversary of this podcast. Lucky 13. And our, listen, our 28th uh, anniversary of being uh, sexual lovers (laughs) is this weekend. It's on our business card. Where's the other... um, Where's the other letter? Uh, I, I sent you like two letters, and uh, we have a five-star review, too. Oh, do did you? Yes. Did you indeed send me a five-star indeed. review? Well, I'm trying to find Good it. Heavens. Well, well they all, didn't all come together. Well, they are all marked LKP. Kevin says, I found another one. Hooray. Uh, a link to an article that says, Spotify will use AI to replicate podcasters' voices and translate them to other languages. Oh, brother. And Kevin says, I, for one, long to hear your dulcet tones translated into French or Romanian, for that matter. I thought you might want to check this out. Uh, I don't trust Are this. we on Spotify? We are on Spotify. Oh, are they going to just take our... Do I, they own us? I, I I would hope they would ask first. I don't know. I bet they don't ask Probably at all. not. But, I mean, here's the other thing that we don't have to worry about. This. Because no one cares. <laughs> We're not famous podcasters. We don't have a, a podcast with like a million listeners. True. We have a podcast with like a small, but how would we even know? How would we even know uh, if the team. the Romanian translation was correct? You know. True, true. Well, here's the five star review. Yes. Uh, this is from Brim Brim Sauce. Oh wait, Brim Sauce Reborn. Oh, that's yes. the name of the person. Because Brim Sauce was taken. So. What? It's a joke. No, re, from the of Brim Sauce Reborn of the you know New Haven Reborns. Ah, uh, there we go. You know. Brimmy, old Brimmy. <laughs> yeah. I have a very long daily commute. Your podcast keeps me company. Oh, I enjoy listening to not only what you think about movies, but what you think about everything else. What really piqued my interest was your reply to what you two thought would be a good representation of an autumn movie. This is when we did the free episode, I think, about of Linoleum Nights. Uh, that think. sounds right, yeah. yeah. Uh, all three of us said ordinary people. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to be my very favorite movie. I've dissected just about every scene a million times. Everything you two mentioned, I have also thought about so thanks for keeping me company and mentioning my favorite movie. I also got to see the Midnight Cowboy documentary oh, last great. night. It was surprising and touching to see John Voight's response to talking about the film. Yeah, it's yeah, really he's, lovely. He's really like, everything you know about John Voight today, just like eliminated from exactly. the amount of time you're watching this movie. So you can enjoy him as a human being Indeed. becoming emotional about the, his his life and his career because yeah, the, of Midnight Cowboy. The movie's called uh, yeah. Desperate Souls, Dark City, and the something of Midnight the, Cowboy. It's a super long title. Anyway, it yeah. is out. It's, it is available streaming, and it's also out on physical media this month. So pick up the Blu-ray. It's a really yeah. terrific documentary. Uh, all right, so that is... Now we're done. That is our episode. Uh, y'all, please go read my reviews at thefilmverdict.com. Yeah. And uh, Do it. check me out on other podcasts, namely Breakfast All Day. We just dropped our 400th audio podcast. And you can also, um, you know, see us on uh, on YouTube. Uh, I'm also on Maximum Film on the Maximum Fun Network and uh, Deck the Hallmark. So 
check all of those out. And hey, if you like uh, Brimsauce Reborn, want to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on the air. You can also leave us positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including Spotify, where currently we are just in English with our own voices, uh, but also CastBox and Podbean, uh, Apple Music, Google Play, uh, the works, you name it. We're probably there and you can you know, give, give us a little thumbs up or some stars or whatever the heck they ask you for. I don't know what they ask you for. I never know either. Uh, follow us on Linoleum Cast at Blue Sky Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we are uh, Linoleum, then I said that. We're Linoleum Podcast at gmail.com if you want to drop us an email. Thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Go see what he is up to at blueBLEU.bandcamp.com. I guarantee it'll be something good. And um, yeah, we'll be back with all of the movies that we were going to talk about today, but we got waylaid talking so much about how great Stop Making Sense is. That'll be happening and soon. And how cool we were in the 80s. Yeah, man. <laughs> Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>